Honestly, that was last week, right? We don't want to dwell too much in the past. We've got other stuff to talk about today. So let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 11, verse 27. Okay, Mark 11, verse 27. If you've got your Bible with you, open that one up. These first couple verses are not on the screen. So Laura, you just sit tight. Mark eleven twenty seven. this gives a little bit of setting, a little bit of a reminder what's going on. Because last week, we talked about Jesus coming into the temple, coming into Jerusalem. We talked about hosannas, and we talked about some things that were happening in the very last week of Jesus' life here on earth. Okay? And so that's the setting. That's where we're at. As we're working through the gospel of Mark, we're now getting to the end of the story of Jesus on earth. Okay, but here's Mark 11, verse 27. Just listen to this, or if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, but here's what it says. They, that is Jesus and his disciples, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they ask, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus has been walking around the temple as if he owns the place. Jesus replied in verse 29, I will ask you a question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. The chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders discussed it among themselves. And they say, if we say John's baptism is from heaven, then he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say John's baptism was of a human origin, and then in Mark it says in parentheses, these people feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. Jesus asked these guys a question that they didn't want to answer. So they answered, verse 33, they answered Jesus, we don't know. We don't know if John's baptism was from heaven or of human origin. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. I like this little passage here in the end of Mark as it's kind of uh, almost, uh, almost Mark's commentary or, or Peter's observation about the attitude of what was happening the last week of Jesus' life. Remember, Jesus has come into the temple. He cleared it out of all the money changers and all the people doing business, all the people making a ruckus, doing their business in a place where it should have been a place of prayer and worship. So he cleared the temple, and now all the folks who are sort of in charge of what happened at the temple came to Jesus and said, who gives you the authority? Jesus says, well, you tell me. Do you know God? Do you know where authority comes from? And so there's this little back and forth, and people saw it. Peter noticed it, told it to Mark. Mark wrote it down. This is the last week of Jesus' life, and here's a question I'm going to ask you over and over and over today. If it was the last week of your life, would you do the same thing that Jesus did? If it was the last week of your life, if, if somehow, now I don't know how this happens, there's no real way for us to know what day we're going to die. Most of us don't have that kind of knowledge ahead of time. We have to wait and see, right? And frankly, if we follow the Bible, none of us are in charge of the day that we die. None of us get to decide. I know it is popular in our world for people to end their lives at their timing in the way that they think is appropriate. The Bible tells us, no, our days are marked by God. And so we don't know when our last day is, but just imagine with me, if you will. Imagine you knew that you only had a week to live. Now, that doesn't have to be a discouraging, depressing kind of thought. What I'm telling you is that in a week, you get to go see Jesus, have no more pain, and be in glory forever. That's not bad. That's not bad. But imagine you only had a week to live. You're still healthy. You're still strong. Just like Jesus, you know it's coming, but you're still fine. You are in control of yourself and of your situation, and you are able to decide how your days go. Would you spend your time 
at the synagogue arguing with the chief priests and teachers of the law and the Pharisees about where John's baptism came from. Is that how you would spend your last days? Let's go a little further in the scripture. Look at Mark chapter 12. This will be up on the screen. And, and we could preach, I could preach for you nine different sermons about all these different little chunks of Mark chapter 12, but today we're going to look at the whole thing in kind of one big piece. And I'm going to keep asking you, is this how you would have lived your last life or your last week of life on earth? Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Now, again, He's, he's here around the synagogue. He's around the temple. Jesus is here in this place where people, some are fascinated by him. The crowds think he's amazing, but the leaders are concerned. They hate him. They're trying to kill him. They are trying to trap him. But Jesus is here. And remember, how many times did he predict to his disciples? How many times did he say, I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to rise again. You remember how many times did Mark write it down? Three times Jesus told his disciples what's going to happen. So he knows what's coming. Here's how Jesus lived. It says in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, he began to speak to them. This is all the people here at the temple that are in his hearing. Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. In other words, he says, I, I planted a whole vineyard. I made it really nice. You guys take care of it. I'm just going to come back. Just give me some grapes at harvest time. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant. He sent still another. Some of them he beat, others they killed. The man had one left to send, verse 6, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come on, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. This is, this is Jesus summing up the Old Testament and now his life. He said, there were prophets coming from God. Some of them you beat up. Some of them you killed. None of them were respected. Now Jesus says, the son has come from God. What will you do with him? They plan to kill him. Jesus said to those who were listening, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in his eyes. Then the chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. Jesus said, let me tell you a story. It's not really imaginary. It's about these guys. Is that how you would have spent your last week on earth? Maybe. Do you have a list? All the people that you're going to tell stories about before you go? Verse 13, later... Now, this is later. We don't know exactly how much later. Is it minutes later? Is it hours later? It's not weeks later. It's not days later. But later that day, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch Jesus in his word. Why? Because they were afraid of the crowd, but they wanted to arrest him. So they sent some Pharisees and Herodians, some other kinds of officials, some other big wigs, some other people who, who might be able to stir the pot to catch Jesus in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. These guys are smooth, right? No frontal assault from them. They're, they're, they're going to try to try to trip him up. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Well, you want to start a fun conversation? You walk out in the middle of Oxford this afternoon and start asking people on the street if you ought to pay taxes to the government or not. See what kind of a response you get. 
People have been talking about this kind of thing as long as there have been governments. 2,000 years ago, these fellows came to Jesus. Should we pay the tax or not? Because there was all kinds of teaching in their minds that you honor God only. You give to God only. There is only one God. We serve him. We don't serve the government. We don't bow down to them. How dare we even pay taxes? They're trying to trip him up. And if Jesus says, well, don't pay taxes at all, well, then, of course, the Roman authorities come in. They can do the dirty work, and Jesus is out of the way. But what does it say? The second part of verse 15, Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius. That's a coin, basic coin. Let me look at it. Some of you know this story, don't you? They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied, because whose picture is on the denarius? It's a Roman coin. Caesar, the ruler of Rome, his picture's on the coin. What does Jesus say? Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Oh, the sermons that we could preach. You know what I could tell you? I could tell you, and I will right now, that God and government are in different realms. I know some of you don't want it to be that way, but it is. You who want to bring the government back to God, let me tell you, I don't think any government has ever really been with God, except for perhaps some of those Jewish kings thousands of years ago who were leading the nation of Israel. But even then, how many times did they step away? Well, we could argue about that for a long time, but we can see how concerned about it Jesus was. What did he say? Oh, pay taxes! What are we going to do? Sorry, the fig really got in me. What did Jesus say? Well, just give to him what's his and give to God what's God's. Hey, church, whose picture is on the dollar bill? And how much do you need it anyway? You're called to pay taxes? Pay your taxes. Give the, give the government their money. Give your lives to God. Then the Sadducees, verse 18. The Pharisees, the Herodians, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they all had their chance. Now the Sadducees, another group who, who say there is no resurrection, they came with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote that for... Us, if a man's brother dies, leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. They tell the story of one bride for seven brothers. They go down through and who should they marry and what's this look like and who does she belong to in the resurrection? Jesus says, oh guys, you have no idea what you're talking about. Is this how you would have spent your last week on earth? Letting, <laughs> letting angry group after angry group just come and ask you questions? Does that sound like fun? Is that on your list? This is, often it's the last week of my life. You know what I want to do? I'm going to park myself right here, and I'm just going to invite everybody to come and air their grievances. Austin, what don't you like about me? That's how I want to spend my last week, right? You see what Jesus is doing here, though? He's, he's taking all these questions. Jesus is investing still, even now. Jesus is investing in teaching the people the right way to live. Some people are going to listen some will not, but Jesus is still putting it out there. Verse 28, as we go down a few more verses, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him of all the commandments, which is most important. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. 
Well said, teacher, the man replied. He liked Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, because of the way that you're responding, I can see that you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. But Jesus wasn't done. Even though the questions stopped, look at verse 35. While Jesus was teaching, no one's asking him any more questions. There's no more groups. He's answered every trick, every trap, every riddle. He's answered it in such a way that they were amazed at him. But he goes on. In his last week of life on earth, Jesus, who could have been out tasting the finest things that he just didn't get to taste yet. No, Jesus, still sitting in the temple, says that, Teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls himself Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. Now Jesus says, you've all asked me questions. Let me ask you some questions. If you want more details about exactly what all these things mean, go home and, and just find a commentary online. You can find all kinds of, of commentary about, okay, exactly what does this mean? What, what about this quote about David? You can figure that out. You guys are smart people. You got the interwebs, right? As Jesus taught, verse 38, he said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And then here in this last week of life, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Be careful, those of you who say all things with money should be private all the time. There are certainly verses that say that we should not be ostentatious, we should not be showy, we must be humble. I would challenge you to figure out what this means, that Jesus watched people put money into the temple treasury. He watched them give their offerings. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. What did Jesus do? Verse 43, called his disciples to him and said, look at this. He said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow's put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Here is Jesus teaching, 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 teaching in this last week of his life. Is this how you would spend your last week, hanging out at the temple in the temple courts? The chief priest teaches the law, the elders questioning your authority? speaking a parable about your own death to those same people, enraging them, listening to the Pharisees and Herodians ask whether they should pay taxes, answering hypocritical questions from the Sadducees, warning the crowds that hypocrites will be punished severely, watching the offerings. This is Jesus' last week on earth. What is he doing? Let's take a quick break. What is one thing that you would do You've had a couple minutes to think about it now, and you see what Jesus did. What is one thing that you would do if you knew that you only had a week left? Tell the person beside you. If you don't know the person beside you, give them your name first before you share this very superficial information about what you'd do in the last week of your life. But tell the person beside you, what would you do if you just had a week yet to go? Share your name, share your desire. Go ahead. Stand up if you need to. Some of you have a bucket list, right? 
You have things that you want to do. You want to go skydiving, man. You, you want to go scuba diving. Lots of diving goes into bucket lists. Maybe you just want to go and rent a really fast car for a day. See what that would be like. Maybe you want to fly to someplace far away to see it or, or to tell somebody you love that you love them. A lot of you were able to think of at least one thing that you would do with your last week, right? How many of you said, you know, I'd love to go to church and argue with people? That's what I was thinking, but I don't know. Our mission is to become more like Jesus, so let's look at what we're supposed to become. Why was Jesus doing what he was doing? We all have our ideas. We all have our thoughts about what we would do. But why did he do what he did? Why was he in that place? It almost feels, doesn't it? If you read, go home today and read Mark chapter 12 for yourself. Just kind of read the whole thing. It almost feels like he's trying to cram in these last few lessons, these, these little stories and parables, these little corrections and these, these pieces of wisdom and guidance. It feels like, like kind of cramming before the test, right? Have any of you ever done that? I know you all plan ahead, so none of you have had to, right? But the deadline is coming. Jesus knows his death is imminent. It's, it's just days away, and so this is his chance to talk to people, to share with them his wisdom, to, to correct those who are really out of line, to encourage those who are trying to follow. Jesus knows what is coming for him, and he knows what his disciples and what his followers are going to have to live through. He knows that not very long from now, he's going to be gone, and they're going to have to carry on. I love these couple verses that Reuben read for us this morning. Reuben, thank you for trying to tackle them. Ephesians 3, verses 10, 11, and 12, Paul is saying that God's intent is that through the church, and this is written 2,000 years ago. This isn't something that's just like brand new today that we're just now discovering. No, Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus almost 2,000 years ago, and he says God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Reuben is right. This is talking about the devil and all of his demons. God's intent is that through the church, and that is us, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that he is your savior, you are the church, whether you want to be or not. That's how Paul is talking about this. Through the church, God's wisdom is made known to Satan and all the demons who rebelled against him eons past. God says, you didn't want to worship me? You didn't want to follow me? Satan, you wanted to do your own thing? I'll show you through this church, through these people. <laughs> God uses people. He says, I'll show, I'll show what it means to be wise. Why? Verse 11, according to God's eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. God says, Satan and all you evil angels who turned and became demons, you didn't want to worship before me. I'm going to show you how wise I am. I'm going to work in these people so that they come and worship before me and you will see who is really the Lord right? That's the purpose of Jesus Christ, right? So that we can be in the presence of God, so that we don't have to hide because of our sins anymore. <laughs> Sewing together fig leaves to hide our shame and nakedness, 
really? God says, I can even work through these jokers. I can save them and bring them before me. They will worship in confidence and in freedom. And it's almost just this sneer at Satan that says, what do you have? This is what Jesus is doing the last week of his life. He's setting up the church and he's setting up evil for God's wisdom to be made known. I like in John 17, right around this same time that, that Jesus is doing these things that I've been reading about from Mark chapter 12. In John 17, we have a record of, of some of Jesus' prayers here in this last week of his life. Jesus says, my prayer is not just for my closest disciples. I pray, this is John 17, 20, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, Jesus prays for all of us who will believe in him because of what all those apostles back then were saying. Those people who kept saying to Jesus, well, can I sit at your right hand in glory after you die? Right? The people who were always arguing about who was better, the people who just until the Holy Spirit came upon them were filled with fear. No, all of us who believe in Jesus Christ because of what those apostles said. Jesus says, I'm praying for them, that all of them may be one, as you are in me and I am in, in you. John 17, 21. May they, that is the whole church, all who believe in Jesus, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We see in Ephesians and we see in John that the church exists. We are here to show Satan and evil that God is great, that God is the one who is filled with all wisdom. We show this by the mere fact that we stand here and that we approach God with freedom and confidence. But not only do we show this to the evil forces in the heavenly realms, but as Jesus prayed, we show ourselves so that the world will know that God sent Jesus and that God loves us and that God loves the world even as God loved Jesus. We, the church, show the ruler and the authorities in the heavenly realms the wisdom of God. And we, the church, show the world that Jesus is divine and that God loves the world. This is what we do. This is what we're here for. This is what Jesus prayed. This is what Jesus said. And this is why in this last week of his life, Jesus is so intent on making sure that his disciples are following the right people. Don't follow the hypocrites, right? Don't just follow the rich people who put in their big piles of money. Give all like this woman who gave two copper coins. Jesus says, don't get wrapped up in all the people with their fancy questions and their tricks and their traps and should we pay taxes or not. Give the world what the world needs. Give God your life and your heart and your everything. This is what we do. This is what we're here for. Church, here is what I'm going to ask you to do. With all of this in mind, understanding Jesus saw this as so important that even though he only had days left to live, he stuck around to teach these things, to invest in his disciples so that they would be able to take his message out to the world after he died. Because remember, what's going to happen? Within a week, Jesus will be dead. And indeed, he will rise from the grave again and he'll be around on earth for a couple weeks. But Jesus isn't preparing for 40 more years of ministry. 
not for himself. Jesus is preparing his disciples, these fishermen, these common guys, these carpenters, these tax collectors. He's preparing these folks to go out and be the church and establish churches and change the world. And Jesus works through men and women in the church to show evil that God reigns and to show the world that God loves them. This is what we do. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. One is very simple, very easy, but yet you're going to find it very potentially awkward. It's the same thing Reuben challenged you to do. Can you bring two people, two people who need the Lord in their life, can you bring them to the tailgate party next week? And listen, if it rains next week, I know, and you know, you look at forecasts and all that kind of stuff, there's a chance of rain on Sunday. Okay, if it rains, we're, we're still going to eat and we're still going to have a worship service. The worship service will just be in here instead of out there. So still come. And, you know, there's plenty of seats still in this building, even here in the front row. So if you bring your two friends, don't worry, we've got space for them. But after hearing that the church, that's us. After hearing that the church is supposed to show the love of God to the world, does that motivate you a little bit to remind you that it's our job to tell people that God sent Jesus? It's our job to tell people that God loves them as much as he loved his son, Jesus Christ. That's our job. So next week, at the tailgate party, inside or outside, I'm going to be talking about this love of Jesus. I'm going to be talking about how he died and sacrificed himself for us. I'm going to be talking about the ramifications of that in our lives and how we need to respond to that and how we can accept that and, and how we can be made new in Jesus Christ. I think it's a message that everybody needs to hear. You want to bring a couple friends? And maybe they'll get connected with some of your friends here and, and maybe that can be some of the support that they need as they go through all the craziness that is life. You, we, are the workers. Will you do this? Now, here's the second thing. This is a little bit more long-term. It's over the next month or two, okay? In 2019, I did a little bit of, uh, we did a little bit of counting in the office, just looking over all the folks who are here at our church and who's doing what and all the people who volunteer to do this, that, and the other. So these numbers are about three years old. This was back before we were in this building. It's when we were still over at the old media building. But in 2019, we had 124 people who were volunteering on a regular basis to help out to do something around the church. They were sitting in a nursery. They were teaching Sunday school. Maybe they were leading a youth group. Maybe they were mowing the yard or preparing coffee or greeting you at the door or playing an instrument. But we had 124 people who volunteered. 124, that's a lot of people in a church our size. 124 people who volunteered. And about, of those 124, about half of them were involved in youth and kid ministry in some way. Okay, so if we had 124 in 2019, I'm going to say we have about 150 or 160 people who are volunteering today. Our structure and the way that this church is set up demands that we keep working at things. Both those of us who have the privilege of being paid to do ministry as a career, but also for all of us who work together to do ministry and follow God's calling. And so here's what I'd like to challenge you to do. Remembering how important it was for Jesus to make sure that the church kept going. Remembering what Paul said in Ephesians, that the church shows God's wisdom to the forces of evil. Remember what Jesus prayed, that the church is in charge of showing to the world the divinity of Christ and the love of God. I would like you to think about how you can serve the Lord in your life. 
It may be something that you can start doing this afternoon. Maybe you call that friend or you walk next door and say, hey, Dean, would you like to come to a worship service with me? Maybe it means that you start thinking about changing your career. Maybe God's calling you to do something like that. Maybe he says, you're, you're a businessman now, but I'd like you to be a Christian counselor. Or you're a, you're a housewife now, but I'd, I'd like, I'm sorry, is, I hope housewife is not like one of those terms that I can't use anymore. I Maybe you are, well, a homemaker. Is that better? I, I don't even, I, I was on such a roll until just now. <laughs> Maybe God's calling you to do something different than what you're doing right now. Maybe God's calling you to do something different than what you're planning on doing right now. Maybe you haven't thought about it very much and you're just kind of in a groove. This is what you do. This is where you work. This is how you go. I wonder if you can give a little bit of extra prayer and thought this week. Understanding that it's not our job as the church just to coast through. It is our job to show God's wisdom to the forces of evil. It is our God to show God, our job to show God's love to the world around us. It is our job to put on display the divinity of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you'll give a little bit of extra time and a little bit of extra prayer this week to think about how you are gifted to serve. Maybe that's some way here at the church. Maybe that's some way in in the rest of your life. But will you think about that a little bit more? Will you think about the gifts that God has given you? And will you not just do that by yourself? But here's one final big step, and I'm going to ask you to do this with, with the people who are in your family um, who, who also understand a little bit of the Lord, who have, who have faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of you are going to be eating lunches together today, or you're going to have a picnic for, for the, 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 the weekend, or you're going to get together sometime in the next week or, or next couple of weeks. I wonder if you would have the courage to ask your family what they see in you. Now, they might not be right. Our families, even when they love us, sometimes they read us wrong. But I wonder if you could test what you're hearing from God with the other people around you. And if you don't have a family, if you're a person who feels like you're really isolated, isolated and alone, maybe you can talk to the small group that you've got here at Waterway. Or if you're not part of a family or not part of a small group, please come and talk to me right now and I will connect you with a small group and a place where, where you can talk on a weekly or every other week basis about the Lord and, and, and the way that God works in our lives. I want you to be able to talk with somebody else about who you are, about what God has called you to, about all the things that you need to keep doing with all your heart, or maybe the things that you need to start doing that you've never done before. I mean, Jesus invested precious hours of his last week on earth so that the church would be equipped to carry on after he died. Jesus invested that so that we could be here today believing in him, standing in front of God with freedom and confidence. And Jesus has told us very clearly that it's our job to keep passing this along until he comes back again. Will you invite some folks to the really fun event that we've got going on next week where we're going to tell more people about Jesus? And will you consider how God is working in your life how you can live and act all for him. Now, here's the thing. We have to do this with patience 
and care and grace. As a church, we don't always do a great job of helping each other find our giftings. It's, it's just sometimes it's a big group. Sometimes it's hard to manage. I know some of you feel like you've gotten lost in the shuffle before. We're trying to do better. As a leadership team, as elders, as pastors, and as staff, we're trying to do better to keep up with everybody who's here and to make sure that everybody's able to be working in a role that brings you life. And that shows, that shows the love of Jesus to the world. We don't do it perfectly, but we can do it better. And I hope that we can keep working together to be the church so that we can show the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for investing in us. You gave your life, you sacrificed yourself so that we could be saved and not have to be slaves to sin and death. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Jesus, for the call that you then put on our lives to be your ambassadors no matter where we are. Jesus, help us to remember that our, that our mission is not just to sit back and be comfortable. Our mission is not only to enjoy all the blessings of the Lord, but our mission is to continue to show the love of Jesus Christ and the love of God to the world around us. Help us, Jesus, to stay on that mission. And Jesus, as you prayed, we agree. Would you please send your Holy Spirit to fill us up so that we can accomplish these things that you planned for us? We know that our power and our intellect and our charisma, it's not enough to get all this done. But Lord Jesus, we know that with you and with the power of your Holy Spirit, we can do all things because you strengthen us. And so Lord, would you help us to think of people that we can invite to come and learn more about you? And Lord, would you show us, Holy Spirit, would you reveal in us the gifts that you've given us for service to the church and to the world? And Lord, would you help us here at Waterway Church to do a better job of managing ourselves as volunteers, of, of giving ourselves in your service. And, and for those of us who have roles of leadership, Lord, help us to be better leaders. Help us to be, to be more mindful of the details as we continue to promote the big picture. Lord, there's so many things we need your help for. Thank you for offering it. And thank you, Lord, for, for giving, giving us an example that says you will always come through for us. No matter how big the challenge, no matter how difficult the call, you always come through. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Church, would you stand and sing with us as we sing this, this closing song, this, this praise to God called King of Kings.